I always tell my kids, uh, you're always going to have this in your life. It's like a scar, you know, when you, when you, you know, have an injury and you cut, you know, sl split your head open and they both have scars, by the way, uh, not a surprise. Um, so I point out their scars and I'm like, you see this scar right here? It's never going to go away. It will always, it will get lighter and less noticeable, but it will never go away. And I said, it's kind of like grieving and losing someone. You're never going to get over it. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode. I am really excited to be interviewing our guest today. Uh, it's my friend Jenna, and Jenna and I met a year ago, actually, almost to the T around this time. And we met doing a training to become facilitators, uh, grief facilitators for a nonprofit organization. And we actually have not seen each other in person since that weekend that we trained. But that weekend, we completely hit it off. I could just see like something special in her spirit. And not everybody that was there as a facilitator to train as facilitators had been through grief, but it just happened that the two of us had, and we just bonded over chatting and the fact that she knew Spanish and we just kind of <laughs> kind of got into that. So um, I'm excited for all of you to get to know her and to hear her story because I know I was really inspired by hearing your story, Jenna, and I am excited for the listeners to learn more about your journey and learn more about you and feel inspired as well. So Jenna, how are you, my friend? I'm good. Thank you, Kendra. Thank you for having me. I'm super I'm excited. So, <laughs> I'm so happy that you are here. So Jenna, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? So... Um... I grew up in uh, a kind of small town, uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, uh, the mm -hmm. southern part of the boot, so to speak. Um, and I grew up there my entire life, uh, but I actually moved to Dallas about two and a half years ago. So I'm currently living here in Dallas with my two kids. Um, How old are they? How old are you? They kids? are nine and a half and eight, and they're both boys. So boys handful mm -hmm. and <laughs> but, but a good a good kind of energy I'm sure and they probably have each other to blow off some of that energy too with each other exactly yes <laughs> that's good that's good I'm sure I'm sure you have to pull them apart a few times too if, but at the same time they mm -hmm. can blow blow off some steam right yes more more times <laughs> than I would like but yes <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I know my mom was the same with my sister and I were two years apart. And so 
we'd be we'd always be kind of fighting so we'd always get in trouble but she was my best friend as well so anyhow but um so the when we met we were chatting outside the room we had a break during our training and we started chatting and you were sharing your story and i uh want our listeners to hear about their journey of how your husband passed away and then your journey of grieving and at the same time also rising above that and raising these two boys. So tell take us a little bit back to um to that. How first off, what was your how long ago did you get married? How long ago were you married? So actually that's that's kind of an ironic situation. Um here we are May 13th and um this he passed away on May 28th of 2012, our fifth wedding anniversary was May 26th. Um, so we had just made five years, two days uh, before he died. We weren't together. He was away. So we we're supposed to celebrate when he came back. So yeah, the irony mm-hmm. of the situation is it's right around that time. It's so. around that time. In the moment that we're recording, this podcast is near your anniversary yes. now when you when you say that because it's been then so eight. he passed away you said eight it's eight been years. eight years when you say that uh, what emotions that come to mind still and and the reason I ask that is because a lot of times you know some people that are maybe living in, it's very fresh for them to have gone through a loss um maybe don't know a little bit how the grief journey kind of goes um so when you think of dates like this, what, what comes to mind to you? Um, you know, I, I do building up to it. I think now, now looking back on it subconsciously, I think my mood changes a little bit. My, you know, my stress level kind of goes up and I didn't really notice that until a few years in, um, then I started mm. saying, mm, you know, I'm, I'm more agitated now and, oh, it just so happens that it's going to be you know, it's coming up on his death anniversary. So that was Mm -hmm. a few years in, that was interesting to find. Um, Something else that I really was surprised to find was that um, probably about a year, it was coming up on the first year anniversary of his death. And I was thinking, okay, you know what? I've, you know, just powered through the grieving process. I've done my due diligence in that area. You know, I'm good. I'm at a semi-peaceful place. Um, and I felt like I was, you know, I, I'm like, it's coming up on the first year. I'll be okay. I've, I've got this. And then that day came and I just completely fell apart. So it caught me by surprise. And I've had a lot of those surprise moments where I, I'm not really expecting to feel something in that moment. And it just, it just catches me. And mm-hmm. it's, um, I don't know. It's, it's just really, it's, it kind of throws me off. And that's one of the things I remember thinking I've got this and I really didn't have it a year in. And I'm like, man, this is, this is tough. I wonder if this is going to happen every year. Mm. Um, And every year, you know, it's kind of like, I always tell my kids, uh, you're always going to have this in your life. It's like a scar, you know, when Mm -hmm. you, when you, you know, have an injury and you cut, you know, sl- split your head open and they both have scars, by the way, uh, not a surprise. 
Um, so I point out their scars and I'm like, you see this scar right here? It's never gonna go away. It will always, it will get lighter and less noticeable, but it will never go away. And I said, it's kind of like grieving and losing someone. You're never gonna get over it. And so many people say, are you over it? When are you gonna get over it? And it's ex they always use those words, um, which those aren't the right words, but I, I don't, um, I don't fault people because I know that sometimes they just, you know, they're not the most tactful uh, in how they say it, but you don't actually get over it. You move forward with it. And I, mm -hmm. that was a good thing from Nora. I, I know you follow Nora. Um, mm -hmm. no, but, I can never yeah, pronounce I can't say her name. Yeah. And if, if, if the odd, yeah, if the listeners don't know what we are, talking about uh, yeah tell them a little bit how to find like you can find our youtube a ted talk she did and that's the first that's the one i first saw her was the ted talk she did yes um she also has a podcast and she has i have one of her books too it's uh i think her podcast is uh thanks for asking uh so, i forgot but it's um she's really inspirational. I saw a couple of her, uh, I saw a Ted talk that she did and I was, it was just so inspirational and so powerful that she said, you don't get over it. You move forward with it. And so, mm -hmm. um, and, and her Ted talk is really, really relatable to you because yeah. in, in hers, it's her spouse that passed away. And so it's her husband that died. And so that definitely, it's a huge connection also with you for, for you, I guess, because it's the same the same type of relationship of somebody who's died now. Um, so when he passed away, it was a sudden death. Did you, did you want to share the, a little bit about that and about how old were the kids and a little bit about what, um, what happened, uh, during that time? Sure. Sure. So, um, we were just to give you a little bit about our backstory. We were, um, he was one of my first boyfriends. We were high school sweethearts. We started dating, um, we were around the same age, uh, a few months apart. So we started dating on junior in high school. So 16 ish, um, mm -hmm. dated for about eight years and then we were married for five. So total in total, we were together wow. for 13 and, wow. um, throughout that time, um, we had kind of moved from when my oldest was a few months old for the first year of his life from like two months to a year, we lived in Dominican Republic, which is where my late husband was from. Um, he went to fly, he flew helicopters. And when he was done with his training here in the US, uh, he found work flying um, for, for a tourist uh, company there in, in Dominican doing helicopter tours. So we, I moved there with him for about a year. It was a, uh, very hard to acclimate um mm. to a different that in country. itself is a huge that in itself is a huge grief yeah, uh story was, just there oh, oh yeah did you was, know uh, the language then did you know spanish then or did you learn it when you lived there thankfully i had spent a semester in costa rica in my last semester of college so oh, i was fluent yes uh, i was pretty fluent so i was able to get around grocery store bank none of that's online so you had to go actually go in person so Mm -hmm. Um, it was a cultural shock, mm -hmm. uh, to mm -hmm. say the least, but, uh, I did it for a year and then I got pregnant with my second child. And then we came back here. Um, he found a job with, you know, in our hometown of Lafayette and we were excited cause we'd be around family and, 
you know, actually took a tour of the company um, where he's going to fly. And they were, you know, it was ironic because it was a super safe company. Um, and we had about, our youngest was born April 17th. And um, he passed away on May the 28th. So our youngest was about six weeks. And my oldest was about 20 months old. So both under the age of two. Um, we had, um, he was in a, he, in Louisiana, it's very common if you work offshore to work two weeks off, two weeks on. So he was basically, he'd work two weeks. He'd drive to the coast of Louisiana, you know, fly for the company offshore, fly workers offshore to and from oil rigs. Um, he'd do that for two weeks and then he would drive back and he would be home for two weeks. So it was like a mm. two weeks there, two weeks at home. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why he was away that when it was your anniversary yes. was because he was in the off time. Mm -hmm. Yes, correct. So, um, so basically he, um, this happened, he was going to fly. He was flying bigger helicopters than he was in Dominican. So it was a new experience for him. It was a lot more stressful and complicated. Um, and, you know, I think it was just the perfect storm of miscommunication. Um, they had a rig. They had two helipads on this on this uh, rig. There were two rigs, like, sandwiched together. There were two helipads, a bigger one and a smaller one. And I think um, they told him, you know, pilots are, they always, when they receive instructions or something of the radio, they always have to confirm they're given a green light. They have to do a circle around. So, I mean, he did all of what he was supposed to. Um, it's just, I think they referred to the whole unit as one name and, but they also had part of the rig under the same name. Mm -hmm. So um, I think he was thinking he was supposed to fly to this smaller one that was supposed to be closed off. They were the, company was supposed to, by regulation, they were supposed to have put a big red X on it and they didn't. And so being a new pilot, he didn't know any better. There was an oil derrick sticking out over that smaller helipad that was very dangerous. And so they were supposed to have shut it down, but they didn't. And he was supposed to go to the other helipad. Well, I think it was just miscommunication. Um, so he tried to land there and the, realized he, he was too, you know, it was too dangerous. So he pulled back and his rotor hit the oil derrick and he just spun into the Gulf. And so, um, was he alone in the helicopter? Yes. Thank he, God, was, I, he was heading you know, there to pick up. So he was on his way to pick somebody up from there. Yeah. Oh, thank okay. God. Thank God. Cause I, I, I just, I would not be able to live with myself if someone else was in that helicopter. You know, I just, I thank God that he was on his way to pick somebody up and didn't have somebody in the helicopter. Um, but yeah, he was on his way to pick somebody up and just, you know, the helicopter went, went, you know, upside down in the water and nobody really did anything. And they just watched it sink. And mm -hmm. I think um, according to the coroner's report, I think he was just there when they fly, their head is very close to the window. And I think all the, from the um, centrifugal force of the thing spinning, I think he just knocked himself out because um, mm -hmm. they said he had severe head head trauma. trauma. So I think okay. he just passed out and then he drowned. Mm -hmm. So, 
Does that bring you a little bit of comfort? I know for me, like my sister's was a head trauma and it was pretty instant, pretty much her passing yeah. from, I mean, it was two hours afterwards, but it was head trauma. So does it bring you, I know, I mean, for me, it brings me a little bit of comfort, at least knowing that she didn't really suffer to some extent. Is that something that you think of too sometimes well, like that I aspect? I don't really know. So the way mm -hmm. the universe works, I totally believe in the universe and mm -hmm. it bringing people to you who are supposed to be brought to you. And yeah. later on years down the road, I, you know, I was always friends with this one girl, but it just so happened years later after his, his death, this friend, her husband, she was a good friend of mine. Her husband was the diver come to find out that went <gasps> down and got him. No. Yeah. Wait, this is you. So she was your good friend, but you uh -huh. did you didn't know that he'd be. You, wait, she was your friend. She was during always, the time or she afterwards. was my friend when he was alive. Okay, but okay. I I don't think they wanted to upset me or say anything about it. And I found out later on through somebody else that hey, you do realize that her name was Alejandra. Her her mm -hmm. husband was he was an offshore diver and he was the one called out to go and retrieve him and I was like I have to talk to him because I need answers I was you know mm -hmm. the NTSB they give you certain answers but I don't I don't really trust what they had to say they were very um a lot of what they said was um it contradicted what mm -hmm. you know it, a lot of the information was contradictory so I was kind of skeptical to believe what they said um and when I found out her husband was the one who went out, got, I was like, I got to talk to him. And I, I talked to the before this, I talked to the coroner and, and they were like, yes, you know, based on the head trauma, we're sure that he passed out. And he, based on the amount of fluid in his lungs that we found, he didn't inhale a lot. So he wasn't, to our knowledge, he wasn't alive and struggling. And so I was okay mm -hmm. with that. I was at peace. And then the diver, the, my friend's husband said, well, his seatbelt, you know, they always wear their seatbelt. His seatbelt was off and mm. one side of his, they always have to wear an uh, of their inflatable vest. It's not inflated, but they always have to wear it when they fly. So if they land in the water, they inflate it. One side of it was inflated. Oh my. And I said, mm, that, you know, and then all the emotions started again, because I said, what if he was alive and he was struggling? And so I, I was just trying to, this was like, you know, how everything was resurfacing at this point. And I was, it really upset me not knowing. I thought I knew. And now I was like, maybe I don't know. How and it changed. Yeah. That's so, yeah. Cause you had already kind of found some comfort. And then all of a sudden it's like this, this change of story makes it all kind of resurface and you kind of have to, yeah, oh, reprogram yourself probably to the new, the new, the new information that you now know. Well, my my theory, my, what I believe now is that you know, given the information I have, probably what happened is when he hit his head, he had a certain amount of time because as soon as they realize they're going down, they start the procedure of what they have to do, and mm -hmm. I think that he had just enough time before it knocked him out completely out. So I think he as he was falling and, you know, he was inflating and doing what he had to do. And then he lost consciousness and then didn't complete it. 
That's yeah, he what probably I, even lost. He probably even lost consciousness trying to inflate. The, yeah. Do they have to inflate it man, with their mouth? Like they the, have to pull. Is it, I, I think they pull or only something. the pulling. Oh, okay. I think okay. they pull, or they might have to do the mouth. I'm not. Yeah, I don't. Know. I'm not quite it, sure, but yeah. So I oh. think that in the process, he but he was out of his seatbelt. I think he took it off once he knew he was going down. So mm-hmm. that gives me comfort. Maybe mm-hmm. that's not what happened, but and it's so you know what, but. At the same time, it's like, what is going to change by knowing what happens? It's like, to some extent, it's like doing, say, keeping a story that is going to bring you comfort, I think is the best. Do you know what I mean? Like, because Mm -hmm. like you're saying, it's like the knowing wouldn't change the actual fact that your husband is not, you know, living. Uh, I'm so sorry, Jenna, and and thank you for sharing that again um, with me and the details and with the listeners, because those things aren't easy to share even eight years down the line but I um I know that sometimes it actually helps to that for that processing again sometimes when we share these things the um so then you were home how how did you find out and yeah how did you find out about it and um what happened next my mom and I were actually out looking for houses. Um, we were, Arturo and I, Arturo is my late husband's name. Mm-hmm. Arturo and I were out, um, we were planning on buying a house soon. We were renting at that time. Um, so my mom and I were looking at houses and my father-in-law calls me and he says, Jenna, I need you to, he asked me, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm looking at houses with my mom. Um, he said, well, I, I need you to come come home immediately. I need you to come to my house right now. And I was like, what's going on? Cause I had, I thought it was my kids because I had um, dropped my kids off at my in-laws um, so they could watch them while I went out and looked at houses with my mom. Um, I thought there was something wrong with my kids. So I rushed home. I was freaking out. When I got there, I saw my dad's car there. Um, my dad was at home. So I knew at that moment that something was really, really, really wrong. And the first thing I said was, you know, are the kids okay? I never thought in a million years it was my husband. I said, mm-hmm. you know, like what's wrong? Are the kids okay? What what happened? They said, Arturo's been in an accident. And I was thinking, okay, you know, I mean, he had been in a lot of accidents. Basically in his life, he, every time he'd get on anything moving or, you know, a uh, uh, anything motorized he would fly off and hurt himself that was just a known fact so um I was thinking you know he just something that he was fine they said well his helicopter crashed and you know we're waiting to hear and I was thinking he's fine because he was very fit I mean we're talking about a guy who was very athletic all his life you know, I mean, he had done this training a million times, um, not not a million times, but he had done it repeatedly. And uh, when they train, um, when he was employed by this company in Lafayette, they had them go through this training where it's a simulated training. So they put them in this Olympic sized pool with this uh, piece of a helicopter and they spin them around in the helicopter in the water and then, so that kind of disorient them to simulate real life circumstances. And then they have to crawl out of the, the helicopter. So he did it. I mean, he did it successfully multiple times. So, so I was, 
So it's kind of like what they do when they're also doing the simulations of like we're astronauts or like those kind of things. Yeah. Like they do certain things like that for them as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So he had passed that test. So I was like, okay, well, he's floating out there somewhere. They just need to go find him. And I was convinced that he was floating somewhere out there, that he had gotten out of the helicopter because he was 29 years old. Um, if he, you know, fit, I mean, he could swim. It's not like, you know, I, I said he can do this. So he's just out there floating. They need to find him. And then hours went by and hours went by. This was when I got the call from my father-in-law. I remember, I'll never forget. It was 420. It was 420 or 420 something in the afternoon. And I remember six o'clock came at 630 and seven o'clock. And I was like, this is this is not good. Um, one of the representatives from PHI. What does human, PHI stand for? Sorry, oh, like the. Sorry, sorry. PHI is the company that he worked for, the helicopter company. <laughs> oh, okay, company. okay, okay. So one of the representatives from the helicopter company that he worked for, they came to sit with us. And I think he knew, he already knew, um, but mm-hmm. he couldn't technically say anything um, until they found him, like mm-hmm. either his body or him alive, like either one. So he sat there and sat there and it was a waiting game and it was the worst, worst time. I like, it was the most stressful time, um, just not knowing. And we were, his family, we were all just around just like, I mean, it was, it was, it was incredibly stressful. Um, and long. so at this, so four twenty, you get the call at this point, then what time is it at this point then when you're sitting and waiting so, and you have the two babies, you had to put them to bed, probably all, no. every, all the process of that, or did they stay with your parents or they were there. So my, um, cause my in-laws were beside themselves. They couldn't really do anything. Yeah. So my sister-in-law was there and she took the oldest one and was feeding him. And I think my mom probably had my, the infant, um, my youngest. Is it a blur? Does it feel like a blur? Yeah, it when does. You think of it a it little does. bit like, because it, yeah, it like, really, like I, time stopped. I remember bits and pieces, but I'll mm-hmm. never forget the feeling that mm-hmm. I had in that moment. Um, the details are a blur. I, yeah. I remember that was about eight o'clock when they finally said the divers found his body and mm-hmm he was in the helicopter um and it was it was really difficult um because I thought for sure this was like there's I was like there's no way because everything was just fine and all of a sudden it's like you're telling me my life is flipped upside down in an instant like it's like it doesn't soak in and it doesn't soak in for a long time Mm -hmm. um but it's it's I I just remember falling, absolutely falling apart. I mean, just like losing it. And it's so many thoughts were going through my mind. And it was, it was, it was, it was the most, it tops at the most horrible experience of my life at this point. Thank you for sharing. I know it's not easy to relive that and I know we, as grief facilitators, sometimes share our stories with others too in those process. So, um, because I know it helps sometimes for somebody else to listen, uh, what we've gone through. So I appreciate you sharing those details. Um, Jenna, let's fast forward a little bit and, um, to 
what was it for you then in that process of here you are a widow at 29 were you already 29 or were you 28 29 at that moment with two kids under two um you lived then near your family at that time what were the things you started to hold on to because I'm sure those first few weeks were just chaotic all the a lot of the planning of funeral this that and all those kind of things that happen in the chaos of it all that sometimes don't even allow us to uh, give us the time to really do the grieving process sometimes when you're like in the busyness of it. Mm -hmm. So what were the things that you started to do to kind of help you kind of get up? Of course, you had two kids. So what? share a little bit about that. Um, You know, um, it's like, you know, when these things happen to you, you feel like your world just comes to a screeching halt, but yet it doesn't. The world keeps turning, things keep happening, and life just continues. And you feel like, well, no, you're supposed to stop because my life stopped and you all need to just pause because, you know, to recognize what's happened to me. But it's like, it's almost like you're forced to continue, like, you know, the revolving door. (laughs) It's almost like a revolving door because the door is going to keep revolving and it's going to push you out. Um, Mm. So whether you like it or not. That's such a good visual. Yes. That's such a good visual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it a keeps, good, great visual. It'll keep revolving and you're just going to either, you know, you're going to have to keep going. You can't stop. So, you know, the the days after that, I obviously had a lot of trouble sleeping and my father-in-law, he was a pediatrician. He's retired now, but he had given me some, I think some Xanax or some kind of anti-anxiety thing um and I remember taking it I'd never taken this in my life and I took it and of course it put me to sleep and but I couldn't wake up the next morning I was extremely groggy hard to wake and then my son you know my kids were like bright eyed and bushy-tailed at 6 7 a.m and I had I couldn't function so I had to stop I had to stop taking it um and I just had to kind of do what I had to do. Um, and I just had to, even though I didn't want to get up, um, I had, I just had to like keep pushing. And I felt like Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to, I want to just crawl in a hole and I want to be alone. And I don't want to have to, I don't want anyone to have to depend on me. I don't want, you know, kids to be depending on me. I don't need that right now. I need to be alone. I need to be able to deal with this and I can't deal with it if I'm having to take care of kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, over the years, I've realized that they were, they were, um, they were a blessing in disguise. I, in, in, I mean, I say that in this instance, they're always a blessing, but um, right, right, right. And yeah, the fact yeah. that you had to have a reason to get up and not yeah. be able to just crawl in the hole and stay in the hole as long as you wanted to, because you had two yes. human beings that were dependent on you getting out of that hole. Yes. And um, and so, yes, that blessing was there because you needed to be okay for them. So exactly. it was kind of, yeah. Yeah. So they, yeah. they were, um, they, they forced me to continue pushing, even though I wanted to just 
mm-hmm. you know, crawl in bed and not come out. And I, I just kept, you know, I had to show up every day, whether I liked it or not. And I remember something my dad told me, I'll never forget. And I, he didn't say it with ill intention. I know he was just making a comment, but it stuck with me. And, and I'm glad that he said it. He said, um, as I was, you know, rocking my newborn, my six, six week old, um, trying to breastfeed, which, uh, didn't last that long after my husband's death because extreme stress will, um, drive your milk. So I had to stop. I had to stop. I was forced to stop, which was not, I I didn't want that. Um, but I remember rocking him one time and my dad was telling me, you know, infants can sense their mother's mood. They sense sadness and they, they sense it and they feed off, they react to it. Like it's, they pick up on it. And I, at that moment, I remember thinking that I'm not going to do this to my kids. This has impacted all of us. You know, I don't want, I don't want my, um, my grief. I don't want to impose that on my kids and I don't want them to suffer because I'm suffering. So I chose in that moment to put aside my feelings to be there for my kids. And that's what I did every day. Uh, we actually, shortly after my husband passed, my in-laws, they wanted us to go live with them. They wanted to help with the kids. And so we lived with them, which was uh, good and bad. Mm-hmm. Had its good times, but it was also probably not very harder good. to also. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. then everybody in the home is yes having those emotions. And I'm sure it was hard yeah. for them to see their grandkids without their, without yeah. their dad there too, without their it, own child. Mm-hmm. It was, um, it was, I, I, I remember having to put on my happy face. Um, and just, I, I, that's when I learned to compartmentalize my feelings. Um, and I forced all the thoughts and the sadness and all of that. I forced it out during the day when I was around my kids and I played with them and I forced myself to be there for them. And then at night, is when I did my grieving. So I had to kind of put it on the back burner. And I then um, at night when I put them to bed is when I sorted through my feelings and that's when I grieved. So it took me longer than most people. Um, For instance, my aunt who has grown children, her husband died, but she was able to just you know, she didn't have kids. So she just got it all out the way very quickly. They were grown. Yeah. They were not home when they, yeah. So I, I had to kind of slowly piece by piece do it over a a long period of time. Um, just because I just, sorry, I, I didn't want them to, um, I didn't want them to suffer because I suffered. So, um, Yeah. So, um, that's basically, that was my journey with, um, with how things went. We lived with them for a year, uh, about a year, year and a half. Um, I was trying to grieve. I was trying to deal with their grieving, which was, it was, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but, um, it was hard. It was difficult because we grieved in different ways and Mm -hmm. I was taking on trying to help them and then taking on my own stuff and then trying to be there for my kids. And then, you know, the lines 
the lines get blurred of who's the parent and eventually I realized it was time for us to move out. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So is that the moment? So then at that point when you moved out, it, that's not when you already moved to Texas, you still stayed in Louisiana in that right. area. Right. I moved out with the kids. Uh, I moved in with my brother. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that was really good for them because they had a male figure around. Um, and that we moved, we, we did that for a while. Um, and then eventually I, that was a house I rented and then eventually I bought a house. And um, I want, I want to ask you something, Jenna, just something that just came to my mind because your kids were so little. I mean, one was a baby, you know, so a newborn and then the other one was two. What, how did you explain uh, the death of their dad to them as they were that age? And then kind of how did that change through the years now that they're, you know, eight and um, seven, seven? Yeah. Did I say right? Eight and seven. Um, They're eight and nine. Um, Eight and nine. Sorry. Yeah. They, um, so when it first happened, of course, my six, six week old was way too young. Um, The two year old he was, you know, he understood that he called him Papa. Papa went away for a little while and then he came back and he went away and came back. So the two weeks, every time he'd gone for two weeks. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So I, I remember, um, telling him, you know, Papa is, you know, I kind of explained it in age appropriate terms. Mm -hmm. Uh, I use the word heaven because that's the, Mm-hmm. that's a very um accepted term I guess for the other place or it's a widely used term so um I'm not really religious in that way but I'll, that's for a later story but uh mm-hmm. um I I used I said Papa's in heaven and he's not coming back and usually when I would bring him up bring up his dad or their dad um Liam was I think at first he was two so his way of dealing with it was avoiding it. So I would bring him up and then he would, all right, okay. And then he'd run off and play. So Mm. it was very, um, he didn't feel comfortable. So he would either change the subject or leave or go play. Um, I don't think he understood it at first until he just didn't come back because I think he was so used to, okay, he's away for a while and he's going to come back. So, um, And I think that played a lot into um, the separation anxiety that he experienced later when I had him in daycare. I was just thinking that. I was just thinking Mm -hmm. that that if he feels that sometimes when people are away, like, or if you ever were to go on a trip, like if that, you know, like it had to be a certain period of time in which he just thought that maybe people, when they leave long enough, that then they don't come back. That, that That is huge. Wow. Even something as simple as daycare. I, I put him in daycare three times a week, um, you know, not even all day. And cause I needed a break. Um, I needed just, you know, I needed some time. Oh, honey, to do- girl, I, my kids are 15 <laughs> months apart and, and my husband was alive and I still needed my kid, my two, I think I put him at two and a half when, yeah. Cause then Mila was like around six months or so. And so I totally get it. I was the same. And I felt a little guilty to some extent because I'm like, yeah. but I need it. I need yeah. it. It's for it's for their safety if I have a little bit of sanity. <laughs> it's for social <laughs> if you want to rationalize it. I, yeah. um, 
I wasn't working um, at the time, but I just, you know, and I did feel guilty. Like you said, it's like, well, I'm not working. So, but I, I felt like this is self-care. This is important. Mm-hmm. And I've always been a big advocate for self-care. I, yeah. I never hesitate to take time if I, if I feel that I really need it uh, for self-care. So I, when I put him in daycare, I mean, he would just, it was, I could see the separation anxiety and I knew it was, I knew where it was coming from. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's just, there's nothing that I could really do. It's just over time. I think he realized, okay, mom is coming back. Mom is coming Mm -hmm. back. Um, and over the years, I mean, they, a lot, a lot for a long time after that, they would ask me if I would go anywhere, you know, mom, when are you coming back? Are you coming back? You know, like I could see mm-hmm. the, the anxiety um, behind it. And, and I, you know, I mean, you can't really undo that. The only thing you can do is just reassure them. And, you know, I mean, you coming back is just reassurance, but um, that really stayed with them for a very long time. And, you know, I, as far as the, you know, grieving, um, the kids grieving and going through periods, we had a lot of ebb and flow with that. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, there were times I remember my oldest was maybe three or four and he was in preschool and all of a sudden I'd be tucking them in at night. And, you know, my oldest would say, mom, um, you know, why don't I have a dad? It's not fair. You know, Mm so-and-so has a dad. Why don't I have a dad? And, can, can uncle so-and-so, you know, some uncle he would name, can he be my dad? I'm like, no, it doesn't work that way. And, you know, and it's just like one of those things that you don't have the answers and you have to just wing it, wing it. it. And (laughs) there's no manual of what to say. I mean, you're just like, you're just as clueless as anybody else. And yeah, you know, and then you you don't know even like, exactly. I was just going to say that it's like, how, how do I even know that what I'm saying is okay to say to a child mm-hmm. this age like I don't know like you're yeah. right like and and maybe some of the things that are if there were a manual maybe some kids would be ready for certain things of the manual based on their own experience and their own brain development you know what I mean everybody's just so different so even a manual would really not even serve anybody because even grief is experienced differently for everybody so there's not really a way to go about it that is rational <laughs> right I know. it's just like wow you know you 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 build the airplane in the air kind of thing you just yes. kind of go as you you know you just kind of wing it and we went through a lot of that I, I think he, they were seeing other kids dads picking them up at, at daycare mm. that was sparking something in them and so we went through a lot of those you know, sad nights and that lasted for a while. And then it, you know, we went through a quiet period where really nothing happened. And then we're back up, up here with the, you know, mom, I, I'm sad about my dad and what, and the, the questions and the, let, you know, then they start asking what happened and um, why is it this way? Why do these things have to happen? And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's just, mm. So over the years, I've had to tailor my story and my information based on their age. And I've given a little bit more information as they've gotten older, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just because I feel that they're, they were ready to hear it and to understand more about it. Um, And they're, they, they get more curious as they grow older. 
Um, and sometimes that curiosity, sometimes the not knowing ends up actually bringing sometimes more uncertainty and a little more discomfort than the just knowing. You know, like if they know that you're not completely sharing everything, especially at now at the age of eight and nine, you know, then it, it feels as if there's something else they need to dig and the ideas that they might even make in their head, maybe even sometimes worse than the actual reality of it. You know what I mean? Like, um, we'd say, we do things sometimes to protect our kids and sometimes it ends up being. Yeah, not the right. But again, we're all just kind of going as we go. And whatever we do is what we knew best at that particular time. So now that they know more information, like, and when they started school, school, like, did that make a a big difference too? Because I know things like the, you know, what is it? Donuts with dad or these kind of day, things that Father's Day that this, like, were those kind of events that happened then in elementary the, do those spark those emotions on them in them again, like those questions? Yeah. So, um, and so, if I jumped ahead, by the way, if you were about to say something and I could, because I totally interrupted you. So if there was something you were going to say and I totally jumped, please feel free to take on wherever I, uh, where you, whatever train of thought you were on. Oh no, it, it's fine. It's fine. Um, no, I, so yeah, so that does make it hard. Um, we do have donuts with dad and the way we've circumvented that is basically we have, so my sister lives very close to us. She's the only family member that lives near me. Everybody else lives in Louisiana, but um, so her husband has been great with the boys and he's like a father figure to them. Um, And he, he's been really good. Um, you know, about doing those things with them. Uh, my, when we were still living in Lafayette, um, my brother, my cousin, my brother, my male cousin, brother, you know, lots of male figures in our family, they were very supportive and, um, they were, they kind of banded together and, and took on that role for the boys. So, and anytime the boys got down about, not having their dad, I would always remind them, you know, I say, but you know, here's the upside to it. You have a lot of men in your life who can do those mm-hmm. dad things with you. They're not going to be your, not going to replace your dad, but you mm-hmm. know, you know, they can go fishing with you and do this and play ball and all these other things. And, you know, it may not be the same as having a dad, but you still will get that experience somewhere because I have, I have two brothers and you know, my sister's husband has been great. And, um, we have, they have other, I always remind them that they have lots of male influence in their lives Mm -hmm. and that, you know, that will not be lost. So, Mm -hmm. um, we just kind of, we make it happen. And, um, I'm now dating someone, I'm in a long-term relationship. So he kind of, uh, takes on that role, uh, with the donuts with dad and the, you know, the dad things. And so they're really getting, getting that, um, those needs met in that way. So. Yeah, that's, that's great. That I mean, you, you've done everything in your power to really do your best, uh, with what you have, like without that manual, as we say, and, um, that shows because you've just given them these different tools for them to kind of feel secure, even though they're, you know, their dad is not, um, 
alive and not by your side. You've given them that security. Did um, when they started school, did the counselor, did, did you guys ever have any support for them at school? Did you ever have any counseling at school? I know, you know, we're a part of an organization that does grief for children, journey of hope, which is a grief support for, especially for children and families of children who have had somebody pass away. Uh, did something like that, uh, was something like that part of your life at all before you actually became a volunteer? Um, so for me personally, um, there, they didn't offer, uh, Lafayette's not a large city. It's about 160,000 people. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not, and it's not near a major city. It's about two hours from any major city. So, um, we didn't have, they had grief support groups, but not, they were more catered toward, um, you know, children who've lost parents or, um, you know, parents who've lost children, but it, there wasn't, as far in, to my knowledge, I couldn't find any spouse grief support groups, spouse. So for you, you didn't have, you didn't have any support for yourself aside from your family that you were able to go and another group of people that you could share these emotions with. Yeah. So in that way, I didn't have any grief support group, which would have helped tremendously. Um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, my family, I had all my family there and all my friends, they were super supportive and I wouldn't have gotten through that time if I didn't have them. So I was very, I'm very grateful to have had them, um, during that time. But the way that the way I operate basically is (laughs) if I have a, a dilemma or a problem in life, I always go to books. So I research it and then I read a book about it. And so that was my go-to then. I just, I just ordered a few books on being a widow and I made sure there weren't a lot at the time about, there weren't a lot geared toward young widows. They were mainly, Mm. I found a lot of them were, um, the targeted audience was, they were older, you know, women who were older that had, they had grown kids and who lost a spouse, you know, in old age. Um, so I was having a lot of trouble finding those books, but I did find a few and they were very helpful. They were very, um, they offered a lot of information, not only that I could use at that time, but also information that I could use for the future, like dating and, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's, that's where I found my 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 answers, my um, comfort. Because that's some because books had already been your go to tool before for other things. Maybe for mothering, you probably ended mm-hmm. up also having a stack of books next to your when they were before yes. they were born. Where, did you have a stack? Of- <laughs> Absolutely, know <laughs> it. <laughs> yes. So so that was your go to way, and so you used that same tool that you had already used for other aspects of your life for your grieving. And that's a, that's a really good um, nugget here of information for the listeners too, because that's one thing to find is what is usually your go-to resource in general? Like, is it Googling? Is it reaching out to friends? Is it reading? It, you know, And then maybe doing using that as your venue to uh, be able to find the tools and that support that you need for your grief. Um, 
because everybody's different. Like for me, it's a lot about like people and poems were like one of the things I would do. Like anytime I'd get a heart, have a heartbreak, you know, anytime somebody would break my heart when I was growing up, I'd write a poem. (laughs) So, and so I actually wrote a a few poems after my sister passed away, just as a way of also uh, grieving. You know, I was 21 at that time, but that was the way that I, you know, kind of, expressed it so um so that is very unique to each individual based on what is your go-to way of coping with things so that's useful thank you um now i want to ask you about other you were talking about the support of your family and the support of your friends and um how about the component of faith and in yourself, like what were some of the things that you held on to in your own beliefs or non-beliefs that helped you? (laughs) Cause I don't know, I don't know. I'm going (laughs) to discover this with the, with the listeners that helped you in that process of accepting his death and, um, and what your life looked like at this moment. So, um, I would say I grew up in a very, I guess there are a lot of unconventional households, but Mine was a very diverse, uh, shall I say. My dad was, my dad was, I don't know. I, I don't know if he's atheist or agnostic, one of the two, but mm-hmm. over time he became Buddhist. Um, and my mom has always been, well, for most of our childhood, she was a uh, strict Catholic. So don't ask me how that worked out, but it did. Um, (laughs) And so we were raised, uh, my dad was very adamant about raising us as free thinkers. So uh, we didn't have to go to church, although my mom would take the opportunity when my dad was, um, every Friday night, he would go play these like, wait, does he know this? Does he know this? No, he knows it. (laughs) Does he know this? No, he knows. Are we not going to be... We can't release this podcast with your no, not knowing this, your mom not knowing that you're dead, that you're no, I'm not going to spill any kind of beans on the show. So, um, but he, yeah, he's fully aware that um, when he was playing his, he'd go play every Friday night, play games with his, uh, like these war games with his friends. My mom would huddle us, all of us kids, into a room and teach us the rosary. Um, mm-hmm. So we would recite the whole rosary, all the you know the whole thing. So. I was, um, I was introduced to the Catholic faith and, um, although we didn't have to go to church, we didn't, we didn't do a Holy Communion. We didn't, um, we didn't do any of the sacraments. Yeah. Right. So we didn't have to do, I knew about the Catholic church because I would go to church with my friends when I would spend the night at at their houses on weekends, I would have Mm -hmm. to go if they went. So I was introduced to a lot of different religions that way. Um, and so over the years, I kind of kept my mind open. I didn't, I, I've always been one. I don't like to be told how to live my mm-hmm. life or what to do or how to do it. And I just, there were a lot of things I didn't agree with, uh, in organized religion with any organized religion. Um, you know, I like certain things from certain religions. I like certain philosophies, certain, um, certain, Practices, ideas, or, or practices, idea, ideologies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, I don't like to be confined to one, and so I just kind of went with that. But I wasn't. I would have to say before Arturo died, I wasn't that spirituality was not a huge thing on my list. Um, mm-hmm. And 
we, both of us, we were not very, uh, super spiritual, but, um, after he died, I, it's not like I, I didn't re- become more religious. I became more spiritual, which I think mm-hmm. they're two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I still do not, I'm not really, I don't belong. I don't associate with any one religion, but I have become more spiritual. And, um, by that, I mean, there were certain things that happened to me along the way from the time he passed away until now, many things that I know, like they've kind of opened my eyes to, you know, the universe and, and just the higher power, whatever people want whatever to call we want to call it right. what, <laughs> um, what do you like to call it what do you call it universe life big source what do you what is your I say, what is your word I, for I use interchangeably higher power god and mm-hmm. um universe I just yeah it's I, because it all means it means the yeah. same it's just however you relate to it is like yeah so I just wanted to know like what words yeah you, cho- you choose to so, to relate to that source to that source to that power Right, right. And I I believe there is a higher power. I mean, I'm not atheist or anything. I I believe there's a higher power. And I believe, you know, the universe, there's a lot, um, you know, a lot going on in the universe. And I I think that there's a whole other realm um, beyond us. And actually, it's funny, because uh, my dad had been trying to get me to read this book called Journey of Souls. I think it's John Newman is the author, but it's called Journey of Souls. And he, but the last like six or seven years before Arturo passed away, he's like, you got to read this book. It's so great. It's, you know, and I'm like, dad, I don't have time for that, you know? And right after Arturo passed away, I remember thinking I need closure. I need answers. Mm-hmm. I need to know what's going on with him right now. Like, where is he? What is he doing? Like, like I remember thinking, and I just had this overwhelming, um, this overwhelming um, desire to read this book at this time. And I was like, I don't know why, but it's just calling me. Like, I need to read it. Now's the time. Like, I just, okay, I'm going to read it. And I, I wrote down the name already because now I'm curious. I already oh wrote gosh. down the and name of that book. He has another one after that. It's called, it's, the first one's Journey of Souls. And the, the other one is, I, I God, for the life of me, I, I can't remember, but there's a sequel to like, there's like another one after that, but so you, uh, you still felt that yearning of closure because you had not grown up with any specific beliefs about what happened when we die. You hadn't really, no. I mean, yeah. So then that, that kind of yearning of having some kind of an idea of something, because again, we, we don't all have particularly all the answers to that. Exactly. We have glimpses of it. Right. But at least to have some kind of understanding or something, some kind of belief to hold on to and to allow you for that closure was something you felt called and drawn and pulled to do. And so you pick up this book, you start reading that your dad's been wanting you to read for the past eight years and you you pick it up after our tutor passes. And what, what was in it that, um, that was like, aha for you? It couldn't have been the, the more, a more perfect moment to read that book. Like I, I, mm. I, um, I remember in one of your other podcasts, uh, I was listening to, they were saying that you think it was one, the one with Giselle. And she said, you know, I was not supposed to know that at that time, this is the time I was supposed to know it. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so like I remember, information comes to you very yeah, timely. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Comes, it comes just at the right time. So I, I remember thinking, you know, this is the exact, this is the right time for this. This is when I need it. And it spoke to me just so clear. And I remember thinking, so the book is about, he basically um, is a hypno, hypnotherapist and he accidentally with all these patients He's hypnotizing them for different reasons, but he accidentally stumbles upon past lives. And so it's by accident. And then they all, and so he gets curious and he starts digging deeper. And all these people, it's just about specific cases. And all these people describe this place in the same exact way, with the same verbiage, in the same, in the same, you know, with the same detail and the same, it's just all very eerily similar and i and i remember thinking to myself these are people who don't have any connection to one another and they're all saying the same thing when he does hypnotism to them they're all describing this place in the same way and like and the place they, meaning like when they that moment yes, of when they passed they mm -hmm. describe it the same way they describe seeing this the same kind of colors around people mm -hmm. and the same they describe the place the, the way the process, like the way the it flows. Yeah, like, the, the, yeah, the light, the all that kind of, those yeah. aspects that. The, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the process, they explain it the same way. What happens step by step? Like when you leave your body and then you go to this place and there's like the hierarchy system they have. And then, you know, it's like, the I say hierarchy system where like when they're saying when souls, the souls try to get to like pure, this, you know, the highest stage of enlightenment, but they, you know, they they go through um they have to go through many lives in order to get to this high place so the some souls are you know farther along the road and some aren't but they describe it the same like returning into bodies and coming out of bodies they describe it and i'm like so i'm thinking to myself you know it, it just there there's no way that everybody could be, you know, this the conspiracy about everybody, you know, you know, I, I mean, it made it, sense to you. It made sense it made to sense you to when me. you heard it. Yes. And it yeah. helped you and in your helped. process. Cause yeah, everybody has to find what makes sense yeah, to them. And a lot of it based either. And this is something I've realized even with having done, you know, grief coaching and stuff too, is that a lot of our beliefs are partly of whatever we've brought been brought up to believe you know in terms of what happens after we die but then also as adults or as we start getting older do our current beliefs match those beliefs and then that also helps us decide kind of or basically determines how we grieve too you know yeah so they um but i i actually wanted to uh if you don't mind i want to quickly circle back about the um spirituality thing please Please, sorry, um, I, I'm I'm a good at segueing, and so yeah, thank you for coming back. So I um there's a, there are a few things I wanted to mention about that is um so I, I I did mention I wasn't very spiritual before, and I had a lot of um personal things happen to me situations that I feel this is not some kind of coincidence. This is something more than just this is something um uh you know very it's not in this world it's you know something beyond us and 
the first time that happened, um, we, it was that time when we were waiting to hear uh, where my husband was. So there was the waiting period uh, when his family was around and my sister-in-law took my youngest um, in the kitchen to eat. And I was not aware of this at the time. She told me later, um, but she told me this later. She didn't want to freak me out, she said. But um, my oldest son, about 20 months at the time, she was feeding him in the high chair and he was faced towards the cabinets. I mean, there's no, my mother-in-law did not keep any pictures anywhere in the kitchen. I mean, there were no, there was no pictures anywhere. Um, and he looked up at, by the ceiling high and he said he this while he was eating just out of the blue and looked up and pointed with this huge smile on his face he said papa mm -hmm. and this was before we knew that he was officially gone mm -hmm. and so that you know and she's not a super I would say my sister-in-law and my, my former sister-in-law she's not a uh she wouldn't be one to be open to those kinds of experiences so the fact that she saw that and told me i mean i was like wow um yeah you know, that's like of, goosebumps yeah it, that's like a goosebump moment totally it, on my end here it freaked her out and um I, that's when i knew i started getting little things like that and i knew i said there's something more to this like there's not you know this these were just the little little bits and pieces of proof that you know that that the reassurance kind of that i i needed um or the the spark to to really make me a more spiritual person um and then a the few days after he passed we were all you know my brother and his wife at the time and you know everybody we were headed to the chapel um, and we all split up in different cars and my then sister-in-law, my Arturo's brother's wife, um, she and I were riding in the car together with my two kids and all of a sudden, you know, my kids were the oldest. He was, eh, you know, kind of whining. He didn't want to be in the car seat and the youngest, the baby was like crying his head off. And all of a sudden the baby stopped crying just like that. The youngest stopped crying. And then my oldest um, started, stopped whining and started laughing. Like somebody was tickling him or like somebody was like, not tickling him, but like, he was just like yeah. amused at something. And I look back there and he's just kind of looking up, like just laughing. And I turned around and I said, Liam, what are you laughing at? And he looks at me and he just keeps laughing. And then the baby, I could see, you know, you have those little mirrors that you attach where you can mm -hmm. see the baby. And he was just like, his eyes were just wide and he was just looking and I was like, and then at the same time, my sister-in-law, we both looked at each other and we were like, Oh my gosh, I have goosebumps. We both had goosebumps. Mm. It was the strangest, <laughs> it, the see things like that happen. And it's yes, like, yeah. and the goosebumps are such, I'm, I've always told people, I know the, the right now I've got them. And I know in moments like that, when I've felt like those presences or other friends that have come to my home and like, have felt like, let's say my sister's presence or something. One of my friends was like, she started crying and like had like goosebumps all over. She's like, your sister's like here and she's with you all the time. Like she had never met her. Right. She's like holding onto her picture and like said that and like goosebumps. 
So that's not rare. That happens to a lot of us, that physical reaction of those goosebumps, like confirmations. I'm like, wow, this is so beautiful. I was just feel, so beautiful. I, at night when I was doing my grieving and I would really sit quiet and still. And um, I remember thinking about him and the, I would have these goosebump feelings, but I wouldn't have goosebumps. I wasn't cold. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wasn't cold, but I had the sensation of goosebumps and I would look down and I'm like, I'm not cold and I don't have goosebumps, but it was like this feeling. Mm -hmm. And I would get that feeling a lot later. It happened a lot at first and then it kind of waned a little bit, but I would get that feeling anytime I was thinking about him. And I feel that that was I don't know if I'm just making something up, but I feel that that was connected to, you know, he, I, I feel his like energy, he, his energy, his. yes, his energy. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I thought, I thought those two instances that I had, I was like, okay, well, this is not, you know, I was thinking they stick around for a little while, the spirits stick around and then they go on and they don't come back. You know, they don't keep reaching out. They just move on and, you know, at first they try to get, they try to, I feel that they try to get in touch with their loved ones while they're, you know, it's kind of still, so say like fresh, you know, they're, they're still, they've just passed and they're trying to kind of connect. Comfort and to bring kind yeah. of some kind of comfort. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, well, I'm not going to get any more of these things. Well, a year or two passes and then all of a sudden I get a friend of mine. Um a friend of mine says, Jenna, I, I want to, you know, tell you something. Um, I didn't want to tell you, I wanted to wait because I didn't know if you'd be receptive to hearing it, but he had a friend, this person I never, I had never known. And she said, um, she reached out to him and said, I feel like something bad has happened to someone, you know, just like recently. And he was out of town when this happened to Arturo. And so he's like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. So when he got back, he heard about the news and he reached out to his friend again. And he, he said, um, you know, tell me more about this. And yeah. she said, I feel that someone, you know, someone close to you, they have lost. They're very sad. And I keep seeing this girl crying and she's, she's, she's upset and she's crying. And he said, well, do you know what they look like? you know, she's like, no, I just see this girl, you know, do you know anybody who's lost anyone? And he says, well, my friend Jenna just lost her husband. And so he goes through and he finds a picture of me on Facebook, I think. Um, and he shows her and she's like, that's the girl. That's the one that's in, that's I'm thinking of. And I, I don't, wow. this was, I think this was one of his ex-girlfriends, like from law a long time ago. I don't even know who this person is. I have no, but apparently from what he says she's very connected to spirit intuitive mm -hmm, and she mm -hmm. said she said this spirit is very adamant and it's very pu it's very pushy it's like it keeps pushing and pushing he's trying to get the message across and it won't stop and it keeps sending me this message this woman is sad and you know he this spirit is trying to get through and is very adamant and um you know wants to wants this person and know that they're okay and then probably six months later not even a year later someone from the opposite from Arturo's friends 
So this was one of my friends, Arturo's friend, a, 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 a friend of his from Dominican Republic that we were, we were um, close for all of us were friends. Well, he knew him from um, Dominican Republic. He calls me up and says, are you sitting down? And I said, yeah, why? And he said, a friend of mine was over um, recently and she is, you know, she was doing a reading for one of our other friends, like trying to get in touch with, you know, this girl's grandpa or something like that. And she, this, she said this spirit kept trying to push through and she was like, okay, I'm not dealing with you right now. I'm trying to, you know, help this, my friend. And it kept pushing and pushing. Um, so she kind of pushed him out and ignored him. Um, and then she later took a nap or something. And during her nap, she had this very vivid dream and she woke up very freaked out and said she felt everything this person felt in this dream. And it was very terrifying. And she asked Jonathan, Jonathan is Arturo's friend. She said, do you know anyone? This person is connected to you. Do you know anyone that has like passed away recently or, you know, and he was, you know, trying to think. And he's like, well, I have a friend, you know, that passed away in the States um, recently. And she said, well, this guy is very good looking and he has dark hair and he's tall and she said, I'm seeing him and he's very adamant. He's trying to push through, you know, she, she said, it freaked me out. Cause in the dream, he, I felt everything he felt and he was very terrifying. Um, and he said, yeah, my friend Arturo, like, you know, and he showed her a picture. She said, that's the person that, that was, that, oh, wow. that, that is the person I'm seeing. And this, mind you, this, these people are on complete opposite ends of spectrum. None of these people know each other. I don't know this girl. I didn't know the girl in either situation that has, the, these people are apparently very connected to spirits. Right. And I don't know. Did that, did that bring you comfort when you heard, I when did, you heard that? Yes. What did it make you feel? What did it make you feel hearing I, these different people have these, you know, connections that had had basically uh yeah that Arturo had basically connected with them to let you know that he wanted you to be okay like how did it was, how did that make you feel it was very very comforting and I say mm -hmm. that because and I knew I knew these people weren't making this up because mm -hmm. They there's were, no reason to, first of all, there's no, no there's reason, no reason to make that and they were up. Right, right. Completely unrelated. These people did not know each other. And they had, they said the same, they described the soul in the same way. And that's mm -hmm. how he was on earth. The personality. I was just <laughs> going to ask you if his, yeah, was he really driven? Was he, he was, the type of person that we would call, was he terco? Like we say in Spanish, was yes. he like strong? Yes. Like I'm going to do my oh, yeah. way, like, and I'm going to get things done. Is yes. that his personality? He was, he was <laughs> kind of person so I describe people as front door people side window people back door people some people well, okay I want to hear this I want to I've never heard of the front door side door and back door okay I want to hear what kind of door am I some people are you can go to the front door and they're uh -huh. just like welcoming yeah hey you know yeah. so, uh, you know you, you present an idea they're oh yeah sure you know very easy like front door is very easy access well you some people you know, when you want to get them on board with an idea or you want to try to talk to them about something, you can't oh. go into the front door. You can't go in head on. Right on. 
right you on. You got to go kind of make it in. Side yeah, window yeah, yeah, yeah. or a back door. Yeah. So he was a back door, side window kind of person. So if I, he was not going to do something unless he wanted to do it. Thought it was and his you idea. Yeah. You weren't going to make you him. You had to make him think it was his oh, yeah. idea. So yeah, with back door, <laughs> side window. So he's a back door, side window kind of person. And, you know, he was a very strong willed. He was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful person. He was very strong willed. That was his personality, but that's something that I admired about him. He was mm-hmm. he was stubborn, determined. Sometimes yeah. it drew me it drove me crazy. Um, but you know, he knew what he wanted. He was strong willed. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they talked about him as a spirit, that was perfectly in line with how he was here. And it was just Mm -hmm. like, they both said this spirit was very adamant and would just not stop and just Mm -hmm. wanted to get there. They wanted to get it. Like they wanted, he wanted to be heard. Yeah. 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 And they both, I talked to the second person, um, John, one from Dominican Republic. Uh She, I actually talked to her. I said, I have to talk to this person. I have to. Um, and she said, you know, I, it was scary. What he had me feel was very scary. Uh, what he went through and that kind of worried me a little bit, but, um, Mm -hmm. she said, he's at a good place. He wants you to know that he's okay. And he wants you to be happy. He wants you to live your life and he wants you to move forward. He doesn't want you to be sad. And so I was, that gave me peace. It gave me comfort Mm -hmm. and a sense of closure. And I was, very happy about that. And I thought, you know, this was probably, gosh, six, seven years ago that, well, six, about six years ago that this happened. And I hadn't, nothing crazy had happened since then. Um, and then at a wedding, my, um, Arturo's brother got remarried and we went to Florida for the wedding. And this was the last, the most recent, um, instance that I experienced, but his brother got remarried and, um, the kids and I went and during the reception, um, the first dance song, uh, they started playing the song and I was like, Oh, this is very familiar. And I realized about 20 seconds into the song that it was the exact same song. It was the same song as the first dance song. As It was the same song as the one that Artur and I danced to as our first dance mm. at our wedding it was a different version. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wasn't prepared. That was another moment of uh, kind of circling back to how I said there was emotions, moments yeah, I'm emotions. not prepared mm-hmm. for that. I think mm-hmm. I've got it all together. And I'm like, here we are almost eight years in. I don't have a lot of those breakdown moments. And I literally just, I started to lose it. And I didn't want to lose it in front of all these people. Like they're going to be like, okay, why is this girl crying, freaking out? Yeah, like, it's, she's overreacting yeah. to this first it's dance. A like, wedding. It's a wedding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People. It's a wedding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They don't know what's going on in your <laughs> like, head. They don't know was, that. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't outwardly. It wasn't a very appropriate response. To yes, yes, yes. This song. So I was trying to like keep it together and I was totally losing it inside. And I just remember my, my former father-in-law, he came up behind, I just, I, I don't, I didn't know who it was at the time. I just felt these, somebody bear hug me from behind. And I, and I looked down and I realized, oh, this is my former father-in-law. I was like, and I turned around. He remembered 
that this was our song. And I think he and my mother-in-law, they were the only ones that remembered. I turned around and just buried my head in his chest and just lost it. Mm. I mean, I just like sobbed. And I, I, I was, it caught me by surprise because I was like, after all these years, you know, it, you still can reopen the wound. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I was surprised at how much it really dug that deep and I just lost it. And then after I kind of regained my composure and after I, you know, my brother-in-law came over to me and he said, and I said, I said, who chose that song? He said, well, I did. And I said, what made you choose that song? And he's like, I, I don't know. I just liked it. I guess he said we were, there were a bunch of other songs we, we were choosing from and we were going to choose this other song, but the last minute we changed it to this one. And, and, and I he said, did, do you realize, no, he had no said, memory of do it. you oh, realize that this was Arturo and I's first song, our, our first dance song at our wedding? And he's like, oh my gosh, are you serious? He's like, I had no, and I know for a fact he was not lying because yeah, he they, does, no, he forgets. No, they don't remember. He, yeah, 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 yeah. Not yeah. remember that. I guarantee you. <laughs> And yeah. he chose it. He chose that song. And that I, I've been knowing this guy for most of my life, for a good portion of my life. Mm-hmm. And I know that's not something he would normally choose. I, 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 I was like floored when he said he chose it. I thought his now wife chose it. And I remember thinking, and I, and he, he thought I was upset. And I said, I'm not upset. I was crying. I said, but I am so happy. This makes me so happy. I, I was mm. crying because it affected me in that way. But I, I said, I, this brings me such joy because I know that our, our Tura was behind this. And even mm-hmm. now, even now, almost eight years, this is like, to me, this is a sign that he is still, he still is in our lives and he's still doing these little things to let us know that he's here. And in that, his speech that night at the reception, his, our, his brother Alfonso said, my, I know my brother is here and he, you know, he's still with us. And I remember thinking, yes, he is. Because mm-hmm. this, that to me was a telltale sign that he was still there. Mm-hmm. And it just, it was bittersweet. It was joyous. So, yeah. Oh, I love that because, you know, the bittersweet and the joy that just comes in those moments. And even though you're, you were, you know, you felt that emotion and that sadness, but at the same time, that joy and confirmation and that support also from your in-laws that your, you know, former in-laws that they realized that that was also your song. I'm sure it was, it also brought up a lot of memories for them. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like, for all of you, it was for all of you mm-hmm. to know that he was there for you, for his brother to know that he was there at his wedding, for his parents to know that he was there. It was just a beautiful, I, I'm all about signs and I totally take them. I don't think they're coincidences. So I would, uh, yeah, I was totally feeling it as you were saying. That's so beautiful. Thank you, Jenna, for sharing that. Yeah. And Jenna, I want to uh, want you to uh, finish off by sharing a little bit more about now that you do grief facilitating has it's been about a year that you've been doing that how has that journey of you having been through grief and now giving you know that space for others to be able to grieve and facilitate their grieving process how has that helped you in your journey i you know i i 
experienced about a month or so after I lost my husband, uh, one of a person that I went to school with, high school with, um, she lost her brother and he was around my age. And I remember seeing, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, he's married and his wife is around the same age as I am. And I forced myself to go to that funeral. This was a month after my husband died and I was in no place to go to another funeral, but I forced myself to go because I was like, this is, this is, I mean, the support is for me to be supportive in this moment. It means even though she may not even know I'm there, I didn't know his wife personally, but I said, I, I want to support in any way I can. And it just, and after that, another person I went to high school with, um, she was married to Will Smith, the football player that got killed. Um, oh, I don't. Sang. I only know the Will Smith, the <laughs> no, he was the, the, um, the he, actor singer. He played for the Saints, and um, okay. I'm like, I'm a sports like non. I have no idea about sports, like so yeah. Much, but yeah, <laughs> he was a big. He was a. He was oh, a. Wow. Um, he was a, a celebrity. Person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I, I went to school with his wife for a while, and um. I remember reaching out to her after because I was like, I know, I know what this place feels like. And I remember Mm -hmm. reaching out. um, I didn't hear anything back, but at that moment, I remember thinking, wow, this is like more common than I thought it was. And I really want to do something to help people. And this was while I was still living in Lafayette. So I, I felt like there was not much I could do in that sense. When I moved to Dallas, I felt called to, do something more. I was like, I, you know, I want, because I didn't have the resources in Lafayette. And I know not everyone has the opportunity to live in a big city where you have so many resources for, you know, grief, um, grief support. And, you know, I mean, some people live in very rural areas and they just don't have that. They have, maybe they only have their churches, maybe in their churches, maybe, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or books or their family. Mm -hmm. And I said, I know that no one can relate to your situation unless they're in your shoes. And that is just, I will say that about any situation, whether it's losing a spouse, losing a child, losing, um, uh, you know, losing a parent or a relative. It's, you know, to me, the way that I think about it, it's all devastating and it's all grief, but it's different forms of it. Um, Mm -hmm. like my, I, I can't even fathom what my in-laws went through or what my child, what my, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law went through losing a sibling. I don't, I, I can't understand that pain. I only understand what it's like to lose a spouse. And it's, it's not to say that my pain is any worse or theirs is any worse than mine. It's just a different kind of pain. And, and people can, say they know, or they can try to relate as much as possible or tell you what you should and shouldn't do, but they just don't know. And I, that's why, you know, I, I said, I'm going to help. I'm going to use my, um, I'm going to use my situation, you know, my, I'm going to take my lemons and make lemonade basically. So I, you know, I was like, I'm going to look for place where I can help other people who've lost their spouses. And that's, I found Journey of Hope and 
essentially I found this you. This is just the beginning. <laughs> and yeah, and this is just the beginning because even just in hearing your story and when you were talking about searching for books that had to do with young widows and that it was hard to find that right there, I had this little light bulb thing came into my head and I, I tend to feel that I have some kind of intuitive act, you know, aspect of myself. And I could, I, I wanted to interrupt you and say, Oh, there's a calling. I think you're going to write a book. Um, so (laughs) I, um, I'm throwing that out there because I know you want to keep on helping. And we, we talked when we, before this um, podcast, we spoke over, over the phone and you were talking about blogging or things like that, other ways of being able to create those resources for others. And I, I, um, I know that your heart is huge because <laughs> I, I, I know that it is because I met you and we've bonded in such a short period of time that we, got to know each other and we've been able to have these deep conversations and you have a huge heart of service and I know that you'll be able to help in that platform many many other ways and I know you've already even helped others as they're listening to even just this podcast so I appreciate you so much for taking that time to open up your story your book right now and share your journey so thus far and this these eight years of being a widow uh, and uh, sharing that with the listeners and with myself. So thank you so much, Jenna. Thank you. Thank you, Kendra. And you're thank just you. super sweet. And, um, you know, I'm glad we, I'm glad we met and I'm, I, I, you know, I know that that's not by chance. I'm one of those people who thinks, you know, people are brought together for reasons, things happen for Absolutely. reasons. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know if we have, uh, that much more time, but I did want to kind of mention something about, uh, the journey forward dating, just a quick, yes. quick nugget of information. Please, please. Um, something I did not expect um, that I actually um, read about in a book, one of the books that um, was super helpful to me. Um, I think it was Widows Wear Stilettos. That was a great, great book. But um, they kind of bring you through the whole journey and then they tell you what to expect in the dating world. And I remember reading something which I, I think a lot of people in my situation will find interesting and may have either already experienced or will experience um, with dating as you move forward. Um, I read the book basically said that um, don't be surprised if the people you date in the future, if some problems arise uh, with the, with them having to accept your um the the you know the your deceased spouse um and i found that very interesting they the reasoning behind all of that is a lot of times future people you date they they um you know it's it's easy for people you date to accept you know, I, I divorced this person or, you know, they, it's easier, I guess, to accept baggage. Um, I say baggage. baggage but, that, yeah. And in, in relationships that you don't want to go back to kind yeah. of thing that it ended not in a good place. It was, <laughs> that, right. Yeah. A divorce most usually right. Correct. is, yeah. um, you know, two people decide it's not going to work out. They mutually decide they don't want to be together. So it's a, it's a decision. It's a choice that yes, I, I mean, I don't want to be with this person anymore. I'm freeing myself of them. And so that is confirmation. I guess, I guess that, um, that comforts the 
the future person that you're going to date. Okay, well, that's done and over with. So mm-hmm. when you're for when someone is taken away from you, as in in the in the circumstance of death, then you didn't voluntarily leave that person. They were mm-hmm. taken from you. And so the concept behind this is that that this future person you will date um, may have an issue with may with uh, possible feelings of um, longing competing? feelings. Yeah. Yeah. It's or like, like even competition, comp- as if like, they're competing with this other person that trying yeah. to live up to the standards of this person that's no longer yes, like alive that. yet holds a really big sp- space in your heart. And especially if you have children as a widow, like a widow yes. and a mom, like that's like even bigger. That they believe that that door has not closed and that, you know, I'm competing with this person who's not here, but I feel like I'm competing with them because um, you may still cry about them or you may still long for them. And it's going to be awkward for this other person possibly to have to deal with that because they want to know that they're the only person. And to be honest, in my personal experience, I remember reading this and thinking, oh, that's kind of, I mean, I understand where they're coming from, but that's not going to happen. You know, like Mm -hmm. people are going to understand. Nope. In more relation, I had about three relationships after that, and almost everyone, and everyone that was a huge factor. They could not. That was that was a huge dividing line that they they just they could not um, accept that, and they didn't want to hear about this part. They didn't want to hear me talk about them. They didn't want to see me sad. It was it was actually what I read was coming to life, and it was eye-opening for me. So I just wanted to put that out there for other young widows that um, may or may not have experienced this or may be confused as to why, you know, why this is happening. It's a real thing and it's happened to me already. Um, So make sure you find that person that is willing to accept that part of your life because it's always going to be a part of your life. It's not like you got rid of that chapter and, you know, you erased it. No, it's always going to be a part of your life. And especially if you have kids with this person, um, they, this new person is going to have to accept that. And so I found that just, just so bizarre. It was so eye opening to me. So I, I, I just wanted to say that. Thank you. That is very helpful information because it's something, of course, like myself, I mean, I'm not a widow. Like I wouldn't even think of that aspect because the people that have passed in my life are non-replaceable to some mm-hmm. ex not that anybody is replaceable but relationships right so re- if you break up with somebody and you're if you're married and then you remarry then you have a ex-wife you have a new wife right or or the ex-parents-in-law and now your new parents-in-law or you know what I mean like mm-hmm. all these different kind of but a sister uh that you know passes or a mom that passes like those kind of those relationships don't change um so it's really different in this case. And thank you for bringing that to light. And I think that uh, if anybody else wants to listen more about that aspect, listen, uh, lo- listening and looking for that TED Talk from Nora McInerney that we cannot pronounce her last name correctly. I'm sorry, <laughs> Nora, if you end up listening to this podcast sometime down the line, uh, the one she talks about moving on, you know, moving Oh, gosh, I always, yeah, move, yeah, moving forward with with grief. Um, and she talks about that aspect of the relationship and the new relationship um, after you become a widow. So um, thank you again for bringing that to light, Jenna. Thank you. Thanks again, dear. And everybody be on the lookout 
Jenna LeBron, because I'm sure eventually <laughs> you'll have to look for a book somewhere in <laughs> on Audible or, you know, on Amazon and order it and uh, or a blog somewhere, because I know there's a lot more to come from your end to help others. So thank you, my friend. Yeah, it's coming. Trust me. It's, it's, I know it's, it is. I know. Get out. So. <laughs> I know that. I know that. So yeah, be on the lookout. Thanks again, dear. And thank thanks you, for Jenna. and thanks for the kiddos for also allowing all this quiet time for mommy to have this conversation. So thank yes. you. They're under strict orders. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again. Thanks. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day. <laughs>